Well, good day to you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. It's good to be with you. Before I jump into our sermon today, our text that we're going to be walking through, a couple of quick announcements. First of all, I want to tell you about the next month, the next four weeks here at Chapel Point. And I'm going to ask, I know that some of you work on different Sundays, and I know some of you struggle to get here every week, and I can understand that. But the next four weeks, I'm going to ask that you come every single week. Um, do I think that everybody will possibly fit if you all come at the same time? I don't really know, and I really don't care. You can bring a pillow, amen? Um, the next month is going to be important. Let me tell you what we're doing next week. Um, I'm going to be able to walk through our vision here at Chapel Point and what we believe, not only our vision that's over the fireplace, yes, I will use that, but really talking about what we believe God is calling us to as a ministry and as a church. Um, so that's next Sunday. And then the following three weeks, I'm walking through a three-week series on the prodigal son talking about forgiveness. Talking about forgiveness. I haven't been able to preach that passage in probably seven or eight years, and I'm really looking forward to it. That's Luke chapter 15, if you want to go ahead and start reading that now. Powerful, powerful story on forgiveness. Uh, the prodigal son, one of the parables from Christ. So we're going to unpack that those, those next three weeks before we jump into to Christmas. That's how I feel too. Um, I'm like, it's already here and um, people are already playing Christmas music. Um, but God can redeem them. God can redeem anyone from anything at, we know, God, God loves you too, just not sometimes. Um, I love Christmas and all that, but I, it's just too early. If I hear, I already heard jingle bells, right? Right? I. Mm, mm. Um, that's what's going on in the next month. So inviting, if you, especially with the week on forgiveness, if you miss a week of that, the struggle is uh, you're missing part of an, an amazing story and you're just going to remove the depth of what God's really trying to teach us. And so uh, just an, an opportunity and an invitation for you. Second thing I want to talk about, I know I spoke about it three, a few weeks ago. I need to talk about it again, Israel. I need you to be aware of it because more than you understanding all of it, I need you to be praying for God to work. Okay, so you've got this narrow strip of land called Israel. It's not very big. Go look at it. And yet here's Israel, and you got this city right in the middle of this small little strip of land called Jerusalem, but then off to the west uh, against the Mediterranean Sea, you have something called the Gaza Strip. Um, and that's an even smaller tiny little strip of land in the midst of a small strip of land. And so why is it, there's wars happening all over the place, by the way. So why are we talking about this one so much? Why does it come up on the news so much? Well, because not only is it political, but friends, it's biblical. So it's both biblical and it's political. And there are just horrendous things that are happening. Now, I, do I believe it's going to continue until the time of Jesus's return? I do. Um, if you, if you read scripture, you understand what the word of God says. I believe it's going to continue. And, but there's just, I think the thing that right now, um, there's two things that really get me. One is what it could lead our nation into. It matters tremendously. Also because I don't trust any media in our nation. Because right now, I don't care, I don't care who it is. So this isn't me. I'm, I said any. Um, Hamas right now, I found out one of our primary news outlets, they literally confessed that they were taking all of their um, information from Hamas to report. Now that tells you one thing that's messed up, 
But what Hamas has done in the Gaza Strip, and this is why it's so bad, is they're using civilians as a shield against Israel. They're putting all their people in tunnels underneath underneath schools and hospitals. So now the only way that they can be defeated and attacked is if, they, is, is if we go through civilians in Israel. And so it's just so messed up. I'm not saying what's good or bad, uh, right or wrong even. I'm saying it's evil. It is evil that what is taking place and what is happening. And we need you to be praying about that. We need you to be praying um, we need God to work and to restore and to renew. Um, I, I'm not only praying that Hamas or anybody else in Israel, or any, because they're all, it's, there's a lot of wrong on both sides. Hear me say that as well. But hear me say this. My, my biggest prayer is that God would restore people. It would be just like God. What if God created a new movement um, and it began in the Middle East? I take it. And so we need to be praying about what's taking place. Please, 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 please. Um, you're probably going to hear about it from me every couple, three weeks because it's something that's so important and you need to understand what's taking place. So can we just pray for that again? God, I come before you and I do call upon your name and I ask that you would um, one, may we not put our head in the sand. May we pull our heads out of the sand and look up and see what's happening in the world around us. And then be reminded that if we look to the horizon, there's always hope in Jesus. There are so many people who are hurting. There are so many people paying the consequence of the evil of the world. And I am asking that you would renew and restore and make yourself known. God, I... Forgive us in this own nation of being so apathetic with our, our faith at times that it's led to confusion and it's led to so much of what we're seeing now. We surrender to you. And we pray for your, your presence and your blessing, your peace and your comfort. Amen. I'll add to that a little bit in terms of what's going on with Israel. Um, today we get to talk about something that's, I think, crucial. And, and it's going to be an, an eye-opening thing, this first page that you're about to see. We've done a lot of homework, a lot of research. We're making sure that the stats that we're about to show you are accurate. Okay? Um, and so we, we know who is tuning in. Uh, and we know that we have wonderful people in Lansing, if you don't know, at a site, and wonderful people in Byron Center, and then upstairs in the gym as well in one of our venues. Um, and we want to make sure we're as accurate as possible when we talk about this type of stuff. People are hurting, guys. I, I hear about it more than ever. Even as I walk through a grocery store, people treat you different than they used to. Right? I'm the guy who even recently I'm going, uh, and I, actually I try not to go to the store too often, um, but um, when I do, I'm trying to be more purposeful. And so before I go in, I try to say a prayer, God, if somebody needs hope, let me know who it is. Um, and now I walk up to some people and you know, it used to, I would look for the person who looks miserable, and now it's just easy to find them. And um, I walk up, I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I hope you're having a good day. And before, they'd be like, oh, man, doing great. Here's a lollipop. And now you're like, hey, how are you doing? And I feel like they're drawing on me. 
um, like pulling a gun out from under their shirt almost. Like it's that kind of posture that people have. In fact, anytime you do something nice, I feel like people are questioning, why are you doing that? What do you want? I'm like, I was I don't, bye, right? I don't even know anymore. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and you have to have all of these different rules that you have to go by. And even when it comes to school, like if your kid does a second, like an activity outside of school, um, you can't take them home with you. They have to ride the school bus back, even though that means that they're going to be four hours later getting back. And then they give them five hours of homework. And yet now you can take them back if you sign everything that you own off to the school system and you give them a blood sample and you do the retina scan and all this stuff. Like it's like... It's, it's just sad. I'm not saying that the school's wrong in doing it. What I'm saying is it's sad that we live in the world where that's needed, isn't it? I'll make things a little more, um, well, difficult. Here's some stats for you of where we are today. What you're gonna see here are some stats, one on depression and anxiety. 32.3%. Is that close enough to one-third for me to say one-third without you guys getting upset with me? Well, it's not really a third. I've heard it all. Roughly a third of adults report symptoms of anxiety and depression. Now, I, I, there's other conversation I have on this. I think you have to define anxiety. Like some people are like, I just have so much to do. That doesn't mean you have anxiety. That means you have a lot to do. Man, I got to get my kid to soccer and then I got to get to work and then I got to do this and then I have to do this. There's just a whole laundry list. You said yes to all those things. You could have said no to some. So be careful about how you define it. But I th so I think we have celebrated anxiety like, oh, I'm so busy. I think we celebrate busyness far more than we celebrate what it is to rest in the Lord. And so now sometimes depression and anxiety has become a thing that it really is not, but people want to be identified as that, right? So here we are is just this anxiety and depression that people have, 32.3%. It's enormous. Whether, they do, whether they've created that world for themselves or not, it's still sad, is it not? 12.3 million adults in America this last year seriously thought about taking their life suicide. Now, some of you going also, hey, I got kids in here. You can't be talking about this. Friends, it's over their water cooler at school in middle school. If you've thought about taking your life, call this number. So they see this, right? If you're a parent, I frequently say you do, you have two primary jobs. You teach and you correct. And if you only find yourself correcting, it's because you haven't taught them well enough. And so we need to be educated on this. 46 million U.S. adults watch porn frequently. Did you know 62% of females are exposed to hard porn by the time they're 18 via their phone and computer? And yet we keep just handing it out. 93% of boys. You see the number of Christian marriages ending in divorce, which is, that has lowered, by the way. It's good news on that. Whoop, whoop. There's so much hurt. Financial crisis for people more and more. And our world is so messed up, even with how now financially what we charge for things. A basic pickup truck is $434,000. 
Amen? Can, I think cha- we're going to start an um, auto manufacturing plant called Chapel Point. We're going to make our own vehicles. Um, just put some hamsters and tell them to run. I, I just, it's just crazy. And so there's financial pressure and there's all these different things. And we're walking through life where our response often is, is to hide from it rather than cope with it. And we think that the, if we can just figure out one other way to cope with it, then we can be better off. But a lot of times we just avoid it. I've been in that place. I remember about 15 years ago, I was in a place where I, I would not go to the mailbox. I didn't want to see what was in the mail. So I just wouldn't go. It was an easy way. Like that was my way of dealing with it and processing some issues that were happening in my life that weren't necessarily fair, but they had still come my way. And I'm going, wait a second here, right? What's going on? How did this even happen? We, we are struggling so much and we need to, to face the reality that there's hard things that are taking place and we need to discover hope and grace more than ever before. And friends, there is grace that is given to us. God, the creator of the universe, gave his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to die for us. And until we find and learn, I think we have to learn how to find our fulfillment in that. Because right now our fulfillment, one of the reasons we struggle is when we start looking at our life, so much of our happiness, so much of our even joy, even though I think those are two very different things, so much of our fulfillment, so much of our comfort is found in temporary things. I just, you just saw the thing with pornography. The, the reason, it, as soon as it catches on with somebody, it stays. Why? Because it's so temporary. So you have to keep coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back, because it's temporary. It's the same thing, friends, it's the same thing with gluttony, the same thing with food. It's temporary, like, right? It's literally about 20 seconds, they say, of having that. Like for you, if it's sugar, um, for me, we know there's only two real food groups, filet and cheese. That's my issue. Um, and, but like for some, it's sugar, and they put it in the mouth, and it's about 20 seconds, and it's like, oh, yeah. Uh, and then they, they do it again. Well, guess what you have to do the next day? You have to go again, then again, then again, then again. Because we're finding our fulfillment in temporary things rather than in eternal things. So we have to learn what it is to find fulfillment, hope, and grace through the saving power of Jesus. We have to learn what that means for our life. The, the Greek word for grace is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, C-H-A-R-I-S. Paul uses the word over a hundred times. Jesus never actually uses that word, but he demonstrates it continually. Over and over in how he chose to live life. Here's the definition of grace that I've come up with. Grace is because we all need to step into some grace. Grace is undeserved favor that empowers us to live. Undeserved. You know what undeserved means? It means you don't deserve it. It's nothing that you did. It's nothing that you're like, oh, look at me. I was cool enough today or I did enough good today. None of it, right? It's undeserved merit. That's why Christianity, one of the major world religions, is so unique. That's why this is the danger. The, the reality is that Christianity is the only major world religion that says it's nothing that you can earn or do. It is simply undeserved favor by God to you for all who profess faith in his son, Jesus. It's the only one where you don't have to earn some type of favor or merit. Grace. 
So grace is undeserved favor that empowers us to live. It's found, I'll give you a few passages to think about. Romans 3.24. Romans 3.24 says that all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption of Jesus Christ. By his grace. We're justified freely by his grace, which is un, what? undeserved favor. Acts 20, 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of Jesus Christ and his grace. The task of testifying to God's grace. We gain access by faith into this grace. It tells us in Romans 5, verse 2. Romans 5, 2. Friends, I think one of the reasons we struggle with hope and grace especially is because, did you know it takes humility to embrace grace? It takes humility. We've grown up in a society in which it is about what we can earn and what we can achieve. And so now we want to give a reward for all the different things that we achieve and think that we've earned. And so it's always, we, we live in that world, Right? of where you're always evaluated based on are you doing well enough? Are you doing good enough? That understanding has changed the way that I look at my kids and what grades they get, honestly. Because I think that we have created a system in our world today that where we have put so much unnecessary pressure on children to perform that they don't have time to rest in the freedom given by Jesus. And so I go, what are we doing? It takes humility to embrace grace because prideful people can see, they see little need for grace. And when they do, they keep their faith quiet as to not let anyone else know that they need it. Here's another way to think about it. Is guys, uh, for God to do something through you, God must do something in you. And often what he does in you is help you to recognize that there's nothing you can do apart from him to actually have true fulfillment and hope. And what Jesus has done is in the midst of a broken world, he has lavished grace upon us. I'll give you some examples of Jesus just throwing out mounds and mounds of grace. You can write these down just very quickly. You can write down Matthew. Um, Levi is also his name. We know that he was a tax collector. That means he was a Jewish man who worked for Rome. That means every other Jewish person hated him. And yet God uses him to do some amazing things and showed grace. That's just one very, very quick example. Another example uh, we find in Luke chapter 5, and Jesus heals a leper. So if, if you were a leper, um, it was often a life sentence of never being physically touched again. Because that would spread, they would keep their distance, they literally would put them in, a, in an area together outside of, of any type of town so that nobody would be exposed to them. And yet Jesus comes and even touches this guy before healing and touches him. And it's like, you just wouldn't do that. But yet Jesus was demonstrating grace to this leper. Uh, John chapter 8, we know that passage well. woman committed adultery, the, the people, the, the religious leaders bring, them, bring her before Jesus and says, hey, what do you want to do with her? 
And long story short, Jesus looks at this woman and says, listen, just go and sin no more. He just demonstrated grace. I want to show you another, I want to tell you about another example of God showing grace, though, that maybe will surprise you. I mean, I can easily go to Luke chapter 23 when Jesus says, right, he showed grace to the entire world. When he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. He's hanging on the cross as he speaks one of the last words, Father, this is Luke chapter 23, I think it's 34, um, verse 34, but he says, Father, forgive them, might be 38. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. But another example is actually found in the Old Testament. And this is a story that I want you to absorb and let it like soak in so that you can process what it is to know the grace and the hope of Jesus Christ. 2 Kings chapter 25, 2 Kings, it's in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 25, 27 through 30. 2 Kings 25, 27 through 30. And before I read the scripture, I want to give you some background. We're going to do some educating about what's really taking place here. Um, during this time period, we know that Judah is under Babylonian control. Now you've got, you've got some key players here. One key player is Jehoiakim. Everybody say Jehoiakim. His son is Jehoiachin. Yeah, right. Um, and then you have Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Okay, so here's the king of Babylon. And then you have Judah. So knowing this, you have Jehoiachin. And Jehoiachin is the father of Jehoiachin. And at the time, if you look at 2 Kings chapter 24, right, chapel before, Jehoiakim, Judah's governor, unsuccessfully rebels um, against Babylon, and he is taken into captivity. Jehoiakim's son, Jehoiachin, takes over. But even then, what we find in 1 Kings chapter 24, verse 9, you would think that people would learn from their predecessor. He says he continued to do evil in sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. So he just kept doing evil no matter what. Um, and so here's Jehoiachin, who's also considered to be Judah's last legitimate king. Now, some would say it was his uncle, according to chapter 24, I believe it says his uncle Zedekiah, he's renamed Zedekiah, is then appointed the new somewhat king for several years. But Jehoiachin is considered the last legitimate king. And this is all important because um, Nebuchadnezzar is going to do everything he can to make sure that the people uh, surrender to the authority of Babylon. Now, what's been taking place here, um, you have, um, even with Zedekiah, he tries to rebel. Each king tries to kind of man up and bow up against Babylon. This is all history, by the way. Even Zedekiah tries to do it. Zedekiah failed so poorly at his attempt that as punishment, Nebuchadnezzar took him, executed his sons in front of him, gouged out his eyes, and then shipped him to Babylonian prison. That is the definition of a bad day, friends. Nebuchadnezzar ends up burning Jerusalem, burns the temple down, takes all the bronze from the temple, broke it down, shipped it to the empire's treasury. Um, the, the priest in the temple were murdered, and the people of Judah were once again living in exile. All of this is happening. Now, hopefully you're going to understand it a little bit more here, because here's what you need to know. 
Jehoiachin ends up taking Judah. He is now the new leader. He tries to rebel against the people of Babylon, against Nebuchadnezzar. He loses, and he is taken off to prison. He ends up being in prison for 37 years. 37 years. This is crucial for us to understand. One, because that's a long time. And with all that had happened with Jehoiachin, but also then later on, even with Zedekiah, what you find are the people of God end up going and they go to Egypt. They seek asylum in Egypt. Now this right away should ring some bells in your head. The very people of God who guess what? They left Egypt after 400 years of isolation, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. 400 years, they then are led out. God brings Moses and he calls Moses to lead them out of that slavery. They are in the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. So they're in, they know that they're in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. Now Moses leads them for 40 years in the wilderness. And once again, a few hundred years later, they're right back where they began in the same place that they started, but under a different lordship. I know that the history books and media and all these different, they didn't have the internet back then. I understand that, but they passed on orally everything that had happened to the people of God. And at some point you would go, wow, um, the life we live, it seems familiar. You see, that's one of the things that you're going to hear today is that sometimes we keep stepping into the past to find solutions for the future when the only solution for the future is in the name of Jesus. And so we keep trying to find habits and rituals and false fulfillment and temporary things to find eternal peace and eternal hope, and it simply won't work. And so we keep going to the computer to find fulfillment, and it doesn't last. We keep going to, to alcohol. We keep going to beer and wine, and every night you're going, well, I'm not addicted, but you don't know how to go, oh unless you have alcohol in your system or you go to the refrigerator or whatever it is and we keep finding it in false things or you go to YouTube or you go to uh, play a game and your thumbs are the strongest muscle in your body because that's all you ever use. And that's, it's called escapism, friends. And as long as we're finding fulfillment, even temporarily, anywhere outside of Jesus Christ, we're going to keep searching and looking, searching and looking. And so now here, the people of God, what you find in this passage is that the kings were arrogant and prideful. I told you to receive grace. You have, it, it can be really, really difficult. I told you that one of the things that we have to understand is it takes humility to embrace grace, right? To embrace hope. And yet here are the people of God being led by individuals, that were arrogant and prideful. And so they kept trying to find fulfillment in all different things other than God. They kept trying to find hope and fulfillment in temporary things. Let me ask you a question. Is where, if you're really honest with yourself, wherever you find hope and fulfillment, is it temporary or eternal? Be, just be honest with yourself. And so here the people are, they're afraid of even more retaliation. And so the remaining population of Judah seeks asylum in Egypt. They're right back where they started. 
God's people are back right where they started, enslaved to an empire, trapped in Egypt. And they're in desperate need of hope and grace. And so this is what it tells us in 2 Kings chapter 25, 27 and following. It says, now it came to pass, and I wanted to give you all that backstory first because you're going to hear this different knowing some of the backstory. So it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, I think that's probably March if you really do the homework here, okay, um, that evil Merodach, okay, what a name. This is the son of Nebuchadnezzar now. He's renamed this. That evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So, so Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king of all, all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion each day, all the days of his life. We start to recognize this is probably about 560-ish years before Jesus Christ. He was taken into captivity around 597, so almost 600 years before Jesus Christ came. Remember, this is not written chronologically. All right, so um, we start to be reminded of, oh, wait a second, the people had stepped into freedom, but yet king after king after king had led them poorly. That's important because especially for the people of Israel, so, the, so as the king went, so the people went. As the king went, so the people went. And the kings are always doing evil in the sight of the Lord. The kings are always wanting more for self without ever surrendering and submitting to God. But a new king comes from Babylon, son of Nebuchadnezzar. And he began to treat this conquered king differently, which for the people of God was a sign that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Right? Some of you are walking through hard and difficult things in life, and maybe it's your marriage, and so you're always responding negatively to your spouse no matter what they say. And even if they do something nice for you, you question that and go, why are you really doing this? Some of you are in a situation financially and you never are able to get out of it. And it just seems like, why, why is this happening? And you keep, just, I would say, circling the drain in many ways. Or it's in a relationship with a friend or if it's with your career or if it's with your job or if it's with school. And there's so many different difficulties that are happening in life. And you don't know how to feel like you're worthwhile unless you see what other people are doing. And so you just scroll for hours, Right? You swipe the glass for hours and hours and hours because that's where you find fulfillment. You need to know what that person that you've really, you probably have never met them, but you need to see a picture of what they ate for dinner because now you feel like you know what's going on. You know what I'm talking about. If I can just go to the right school, if I can work for the right company, if I can have the right title, if I can earn the right amount of money, if I can make sure that I look a certain way and feel a certain way, and we keep finding temporary things to help us do that, and yet we never have fulfillment and hope and peace. I think those numbers that you saw on the screen about stress and anxiety and depression and all these different things that we have in life, I think those are, I think they're tame. I found other numbers that are much, much higher. And I'd rather us just acknowledge it and go, wait, I can live differently. 
You're going, well, how can I live differently? I told you we need to learn how to live differently earlier. Well, here in this passage, what we see is it's 37 years after his captivity that Jehoiachin, king of Judah, encountered a new day. He found light at the end of the tunnel. It says that evil Merodach spoke kindly to him. Like if you're in prison and all of a sudden the king comes before you and after 37 years, he starts speaking kindly to you. You're probably like, okay, what's up? It says that he gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. It says, Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. So he now, I told you that grace was undeserved favor. He now is receiving something that is undeserved after 37 years. Friends, I know that some of you are going, it has been a long road, but even after 37 years, what this king is experiencing is unfavored, undeserved favor before God. Says that he releases him and speaks kindly to him, gave him a seat that was not expected above other kings of Babylon. And then what he says is he gave him new clothes to wear. Now, this is vital for us to process. For the Oriental people, for the people in the Middle East as well, like for all, for that entire, there's a huge just swipe of land, geography there, that for them to give you new clothes to wear was incredibly significant. And so he gave them new clothes to wear. He said, no, 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 you're not going to be seen the same way anymore. Some of us will never find fulfillment and hope until we start putting on new clothes. If you keep going back to the same thing over and over, guess what ends up happening? You're gonna find yourself just like the people of God back in the same land in captivity. And you're gonna go, wait, this seems familiar. And some of you are wanting to do temporary things to give you rest and to give you peace and to give you fulfillment, and it's never going to work. As some of you know, this last spring, I was able to go and visit some pastors and ministries in Nepal. Um, and my son and I ended up going with Paul and Ian Davis. And Paul is a good friend of ours uh, with ABWE, a mission agency. And so we're there. And it's just to get to the, the base, all right, just to get to base camp of Mount Everest took eight days of hiking. Eight days of hiking. I wanted to cheat. I just wanted to take a helicopter straight up and say that I went. They said it doesn't work that way. So eight days. Guess what you don't do for those eight days plus all the days that you come down off the mountain? Shower. There's only a few things I really appreciate in life. Jesus, clean teeth and a clean body. I cannot stand... I, it's a long time. And everybody, you ever been around people who just stink so bad, but yet if you all stink together, it seems to be okay. And you know what they tell you? They're like, hey, bring a lot of those little wipes and then you'll just use those to wipe off and you'll be fine. Guess what doesn't alleviate the stench? A bunch of little wipes. That then they tell you that you have to pack to take out. I'm like, really? I, it, it was horrible. I use them one day and my son being as loving as he is, I'm wiping them down. I put my shirt back on. He goes, dad, you smell worse. I go, that's bad. That's not good. The sleeping bag that I brought back in April is still today airing out. 
You just smell and you stink, and yet then you put on the same clothes. I tell you that story because I think some of us are putting on the same clothes expecting a different result. I just want to find hope, and I just want to have peace and rest and comfort and fulfillment. I want to know the grace of God, but yet we put on the same clothes, and we go right back to the same things that we were looking at before. I just want to know what it is to be in a healthy marriage just for a few days. But any time that our spouse speaks to us, all we hear, no matter what they say, we turn it against them and we put on the same clothes that we had on before. Some of us are trying our best to find hope in Christ but we're using temporary things to show us his favor and it never works. It's just like the people of God. All of a sudden they find themselves in slavery in the same land that they were in before and they never really see light at the end of the tunnel. And so when all of a sudden we see evil Merodach come and show Jehoiachim this amazing grace and hope, I think the, the people, shoulders went back a little bit and they started to rest and they said, oh, wait a second. As the king went, so the nation went, so all of a sudden they go, whoa, maybe we can put on some new clothes. There is, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Every single person in here, everyone is broken and in need of grace. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. I've said this for years and years and years. And Jehoiachin, when he was broken and living in a prison cell for 37 years God says let me show you some light at the end of the tunnel let me help you start wearing new clothes grace is what happens when you can't do anything else for yourself and it's only God that can step in and rescue you And so we see Christ stepping in and releasing the sinner from the prison of sin through his sacrifice. He places us at a seat of honor, just like Jehoiachin is experiencing. And he replaces the prison clothes with garments of grace. And there are so many today that are hurting and desperate and in need of hope and grace, but you cannot find it apart from Christ. You cannot find it apart from Christ. If I could ask anything of the people who are hearing me now, is I would ask that we all start being honest with ourselves. 
about where we are trying to find hope and fulfillment so that we can actually move from hard to hope, hard to grace, hard to fulfillment. Will you put on new clothes? Don't put the old ones on anymore. Pornography, don't put it on anymore. The affair that you've been having, don't put it on anymore. Alcohol, don't put it in anymore. Knowing what other people are doing in their life to find fulfillment so that you can feel like you're in the know. Don't put it on anymore. Put on the new clothes through Jesus Christ. We pray with me. God, may we find hope in you, discover grace in you. And may the old clothes that we have worn be replaced with your, with your grace and with your mercy and with your hope. And God, I, I know you actually created us to walk that journey together, not alone. We need each other. Part of the way we learn to live with new clothes on is by doing it together as your church, as brothers and sisters in Christ. So for some, they need to see light at the end of the tunnel. They need to discover hope for their marriage, hope for a relationship, hope for their finances, hope for their career, hope for their, for their lifestyle. Bless my friends today, God, with your hope, with your grace. Let them know they don't have to earn it. It is a free gift through your son. Amen.